Hey, this is Ryan Miller. I'm the lead pastor of Local City Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope this talk encourages you, inspires you, and reminds you that there is always hope. That this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. Enjoy the message. Good morning, local city church. What an incredible time of worship it's been already this morning. I can't wait to build on that and what Pastor Ryan shared with us last week. If uh, if we've not been properly introduced, my name is RJ. I serve on our team here at Local City Church. It's my pleasure to encourage you guys this morning. Uh, I've been really excited about this collection of talks since it's been on the calendar, and we've been talking about the Apostles' Creed. Uh, no matter where you grew up or what denomination you maybe found yourself in or how you got to Jesus, you've probably heard of some of those concepts, or maybe even in your tradition, you memorized that whole thing from a very young age. And what we're talking about when we talk about the Apostles' Creed are the, uh, the load-bearing walls of Christianity, the foundation of what we believe. There are some issues that are maybe not so significant, whether or not we maybe have drums or electric guitars, or if we do baptism this way or that way, but there, there are some things that are just core truths that if you're saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of the way, I'm a follower of Jesus. There's just no getting around or under or over them. These are the things. And I would just encourage you, Pastor Ryan uh, gave an incredible message to kick off these talks last week, talking about God, the Father, Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. I would encourage you, if you haven't watched or listened to that, to go back and do it. And today, uh, in week two, we get to a very lengthy section of scripture about, or not scripture, uh, in the Apostles' Creed about Jesus. Uh, Almost two-thirds of the Apostles' Creed is about Jesus. Jesus. And so I'm excited today to talk about one of my favorite things, which is Jesus, and dive into his word. Uh, and, and I encourage you to follow along with us. But uh, before we get started, I do want to encourage you the fifth Sunday of every month, we do baptisms here at Local City. And uh, baptisms are an outward expression of what God has done on the inside. Uh, Scripture tells us he washes our sins as clean as snow, that the blood of Jesus makes a way where there is no way for us to come into right relationship with the Father. And so baptism is a way to signify that the old is gone, the new has come, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Uh, And we want to celebrate that next step with you. So if if you're saved, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you've never been baptized uh, by water, we want to invite you into that. It's almost enjoin you. And I was like, that's not what we want to do. We want to invite you into that. Uh, And so on the last Sunday of the month, we're going to have baptisms. You can text water to 97,000. But today, this week, we're going to start the the second section of the Apostles' Creed. And the whole creed, you can put it up there. I'm not going to read through the entire thing, but there are note cards in the back if you want to grab one on the way out, if you want to post it somewhere, you want to commit it to memory. I know Pastor Ryan got up got up front last week and did the whole thing from memory. And on our call this week, he was like, if you want to do that for the church, you know, go for it. And I was like, no, uh, <laughs> I'm not getting up here and going to try to do the whole thing from memory. But what I will do is I'll, I'll beat his title was better, best believe that. And everybody got some hoot and holler. So I was like, all right, well, let me beat you in the title game. And we'll go with today's topic, which is too legit to quit. And so there we go. See, I already won. Okay. And so uh, what I want to talk about today, really, with my section of the Apostles' Creed is the legitimacy 
of Jesus, his authority, and where that comes from. Because in our section of the Apostles' Creed, and we'll, we'll throw that up, it says, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And so at, at the heart of our conversation today is really the identity and ancestry of Jesus. And we have to come to a firm understanding of who Jesus was, where he came from, to better understand what it means for us and why it's so important. But before we jump into that, I do wanna preface the conversation with four initial considerations. I was planning and preparing and feverishly writing and most of the time when I send Pastor Ryan my notes, he's like, hey, how are you gonna fit that into 30 minutes? And I go, hey man, I don't know. Uh, and so there's a lot of cutting and trimming and things that go on. So I, I would like us to consider this as we step into part two of the Apostles' Creed. Everything that I'm gonna share about Jesus comes from the Bible. So we have to come from the starting point of that the Bible is infallible truth. It is God's word, it is no error in there, it is his truth. And from there we can move on to the second point. This is building on what the apostles obviously thought was very important to start with, which is God, right? We have to believe in this almighty creator, God, the father uh, uh, to, to step into relationship with the son. So I would encourage you to get a hold of last week's message. Number three, there is way more than we can cover here in one 30 minute talk. And so I would encourage you to do further study. I think these are great places to start with relation to the topic that we're talking about, God's only son, our Lord, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Romans eight talks about his sonship a lot. Ephesians one, all of Hebrews is about Jesus, God's son, and his, his priestly authority that he can claim through his sacrifice on the cross. And then we're gonna spend some time today in John 8 and 14 through 17. Uh, but I would just encourage you, uh, this has been such a good challenge for me to, to take the Apostles' Creed section by section, wrestle with it, find verses, dive deeper, think about it, test what I believe, have conversations with other people. Like, like I would encourage you guys to do the same thing. Because if, if you dive into some of these verses or other sections of the creed, and, and even using Google, Google your way through the Bible, it, it will encourage you. If you go into it with the mindset of, well, what if I had to share why this is important with somebody else? It, 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 will, it will really challenge you to kind of wrestle with some of these concepts that we're asking you to believe, like I said, as, as load-bearing walls, things that if you take it out, the whole house crumbles. So I would just encourage you with this particular section, those are some places that you can jump into this week or beyond. But one thing that I wanna get to before we jump into our talk is a, a quote. Uh, this is uh, Yaroslav Pelikan. He's a, a person that, that spoke at length about different things in the Bible. And, and uh, he says this, regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. And it's true, right? I mean, you can, you can think about all of the ways in which Jesus is relevant. The years on the calendar are organized by his birth. We have entire holiday seasons that stop and everything gets put on pause for him. When people are really upset at you in traffic, they may shout his name. Like there is an understanding that I might not know why I'm screaming it, but 
it feels like there's power in it. And nobody's yelling your name or my name in traffic when something doesn't go well. And so there, there is an order to our life, a rhythm to our life that just seems to revolve and circle around Jesus. And, and when you read the Bible through a Jesus lens from the first chapter to the last chapter, it's all pointing back to him. And so that's our starting point. Let's pray over our conversation today and see what, uh, what we can learn about who Jesus was and why that should be important to us. If you bow your heads, Lord, I just thank you so much that we get to come together and we get to talk about you. We get to fall deeper in love with you, Jesus. Thank you so much, God, that you would send your son into the world, your only son, the only plan for salvation and redemption, that you would give him up for us and that Jesus would lay down his life. Father, help us to recognize that today. Help us to celebrate that today. Help us to be drawn closer to you and not leave the same way, but leave challenged and excited to build on the faith that you're stirring up inside of us. God, we submit this day to you. We surrender it. We invite your Holy Spirit in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, church, I, uh, I, uh, I got this uh, topic from Pastor Ryan a, a few weeks ago, and I was really intrigued to see what I could find and what would be in Scripture really about this topic. And as I stated earlier, it just seems like every page I started to turn and flip and everything I started to look up and study, it just all seems to point back to Jesus. And it's, it's, it's obviously, it makes sense that two-thirds of the creed would be about him because our lives are meant to be about him. And so as we bump into today, I want to call attention to two stories that I always knew but never knew were really right back to back in the Bible. In Luke chapter 18, we see two little stories about two different men, but both men, while different, come to Jesus with a need. They both show up and find Jesus they, they both come with a need, and Jesus stops with both and gives them a moment of his time. And their interactions, while very similar, end in a wildly different place. And I think the reason for that is that when they came to Jesus, there was just one tiny degree of separation between what they believed about his identity. And so we see in Luke 18, starting in verse 18, a ruler comes to him and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery or murder or steal or give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything that you have and give it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. I think it's fascinating that he comes to Jesus and in a moment of need, asking questions, deep thoughts, wrestling with who is this man that's captivating thousands and doing miracles and going from place to place and people continue to follow him. He says, good teacher. And Jesus catches him right there and says, hey, um, you know, no one's good except God alone. And in, and, and in that moment, I think that man has two different ways to take that conversation, and he ignores it and starts to talk with Jesus 
about stuff that he could do and gets trapped thinking about his money and where he's put his trust to this point and where he's put his faith and where ultimately his little trap door, exit door is in case there's any situation. That's how I'm going to get out. That's how I'm going to escape. That's how I'm going to fix it. That's how I'm going to get it right. I'm coming to you with questions, but I don't know if you're the only way out. And then we have this second person. Just a few verses later, in Luke 18, 35, Jesus is approaching Jericho right after having this conversation with what most Bible scholars would call the rich young ruler. He's going by uh, Jericho, and a blind man is sitting on the roadside begging. He heard the crowd going by, and he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped, ordered the man brought to him, and when he came near, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see. Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has healed you. Immediately his sight was restored, and he followed Jesus, praising God. And when the people saw it, they also praised God. We have a, a blind beggar on the road just trying to figure out what all the commotion is about, and he cries out, son of David, have mercy on me. And when he gets at the feet of Jesus, what does he say? He says, Lord, have mercy on me. And what does that, that little nugget of faith provide? It provides him a doorway into relationship to follow Jesus. And when everybody around him saw that, they followed Jesus too. We have these two men just side by side in the same starting place, just one degree of separation and if there were another person up here next to me and we started at the same place and then just separated by one tiny degree and we started walking, by the end of the auditorium, we probably wouldn't be too far apart. I could still see you. You could still see me. We could shout to each other. But by a mile down the road, 10 miles down the road, on to eternity, we would be nowhere near each other. This is why knowing who Jesus is to us, his identity and his ancestry is so important because we're all starting at the same place. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But when you believe on Jesus rightly, when you understand him for who he truly is, then we get into alignment for him and we know where we're headed. And one slight degree off, good teacher, takes us an entirely different direction. One that leads to disappointment and despair because no amount of money in the world is going to be able to get me where I need to go. It's going to be able to restore me to who I'm meant to be. And so... This is a question, like I said, all about identity and ancestry. And so I, I believe there are three reasons, at least, in Scripture that we can trust the identity and ancestry of God, that he was God the Father, birthing the Son, conceiving him out of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, our only hope, the only Son, our Lord. The first reason we can be certain of Jesus' identity and ancestry, he told us. I don't know if you're familiar with most of the people in your immediate vicinity, in your circle, your sphere of influence. I would be shocked if, if any, maybe, maybe if you knew, you know, you know, that one crazy uncle, right? If maybe one person would walk up to you and be like, oh, I'm the son of God. I don't know about you, but I've never had a person try to convince me that they are the son of God. I've never had a person walk up to me and try to claim that. And even if they have, they've absolutely done nothing over the course of their life to convince me by their words and actions that they could be. And yet, what do we see in the Bible time after time across multiple go Gospels, authors offering up that there was a man 
who walked the earth, who came into a, um, a ministry amongst people for several years claiming, I am the one that has been foretold. I am the son of God. I am the Messiah. When he says Messiah, he means that's a fancy way to say the anointed one, right? There's only three things that get anointed in the Bible. If you're divine, if you're a priest, or if you're royal, and Jesus was all three. He is the Messiah because he told us. Now, let's flesh this out. There's a big passage of scripture in John 8 where it's kind of his last little bit of ministry. There's a couple things he's still kind of putting a bow on and wrapping up before he heads to Jerusalem to begin sort of his march to the cross. And he talks at the end of John 8 with the Pharisees. And, and I'm, I don't normally read long passages of scripture up here, but I think this, uh, for the purpose of our conversation, makes sense. And so there's a couple of cutout verses on there, but if you want, starting in, in John 8, verse 12, if you want to bring it up on your, on your phone or in your Bible, uh, we're going to go through John 8 really quickly. It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. I stand with the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your Father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed Die in your sins. Well, who are you? They asked. Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, but we are Abraham's descendants, and we've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we will be set free? Jesus replied, truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free... You are free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from the Father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. And it is, as it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the work of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. 
I have not come on my own, but God sent me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Right after this passage, the Pharisees become so enraged by this claim that Jesus is making that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Please follow me. Everything I'm sharing with you has been revealed in my Father's presence. I want you to be sons. I want you to be set free. I want you to walk in the life that I've, I've, I've always wanted for you. It says they pick up rocks to stone him. They're so enraged, they just can't do anything but, but pick up stones and throw them at him. And I, I wrote it in my journal this way after reading this passage. Sometimes it's easier to get angry at God and want to throw things because of our insecurity rather than humbling ourselves to the truth of who he is and surrendering in obedience to what he's asking of us in his confident truth. I know that's a lot, but I, I think that our reaction oftentimes is not too unlike the Pharisees, and I don't want to give them a bad rap. They were human just like me. There's probably things they were better at than me, and there's probably things I'm better at than them, and we're all starting at the same place, just like I told you with the two guys in Luke 18. But sometimes when we read the Word, which is God, which is Jesus, we get so frustrated about the truth that he's giving us that we have no response. And it just, mm, I don't want it to be like that, Jesus. And we throw a little fit instead of holding ourselves accountable and saying, let me humble myself, let me surrender in obedience to the truth that you're laying out for me. Let me just accept it because you're God. You've been in the presence of the Father. The words that you're speaking are life-giving and supposed to and could fill me up with purpose if I would just get out of the way and listen to what you're saying instead of looking to get angry, throw something. Number two, why can we trust? Why can we be certain of Jesus' identity and ancestry? Well, others recognized him as the Messiah. It's, it's one thing to have you tell me that you're the, the Messiah, the Son of God, but now we're starting to get to the point where we've got eyewitnesses, people that walked with him, people recorded history that said, nah, I think this was the guy. I think this was the one that we were talking about, that we were hoping for, that we were believing in. This is Peter's response in Matthew 16. Peter says uh, this to Jesus. Jesus asks, what do people say that the Son of Man is? Peter replies, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others still say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. God, Jesus, people are real confused. They think that you could be anybody, but what about you, Jesus asks. What do you say that I am? Simon answered, one of the few not foot in his mouth moments in the Gospels. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. You are divine. You are royal. You are my high priest, son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. If you want a, a greater understanding of Jesus, if you want a deeper relationship with him, you just got to get in the presence of the Father. You got to have quiet time. You've got to pull aside and, 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 and talk with him. And I know that's intimidating. I know sometimes it's like, but he's God, and I mean, he doesn't know what I did. And I mean, let me tell you, he does. And he sent his son anyway. I love that lyric in that song, Jairo says, I've never been more loved than I am right now. And five seconds from now, I'm going to never be more loved than I am five seconds from now. And every single moment I come to him, I can't experience any more love because he's poured it all out with his son, Jesus. You say, okay, RJ, I get it. 
Peter, the apostle, the rock he built his church on, said he was the son of God. Who else? Well, how about Pontius Pilate in John 19.6? The man who condemned him to die. The chief priests and their officials shouted, crucify him. And what is Pilate's answer? I mean, if you guys want, sure, but take him and crucify him. But as for me, I, I find no basis for a charge in him. And I, I think probably in the back of Pontius Pilate's mind, while this is all going on, he's thinking, yeah, well, this centurion, he healed his daughter, and this centurion, he raised back to life. There came, some of my Roman soldiers have really caught on to this thing. Like, I don't know, I want to crucify him. I'm kind of intrigued by all the miracles that my soldiers are telling me are, are happening in the presence of this guy. You guys, you can kill him if you want. I don't find anything wrong with him. I know he's telling me he's the son of God, but he, for some reason he doesn't come off as crazy. And even still, I love this in Luke 23, on the cross, on Golgotha, the place of the skull, between two thieves, they start fighting back and forth. One of the criminals hurled insults, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself, save us. But the other criminal rebuked him and said, don't you fear God? He said, since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. In Revelation, it says that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the power of our testimony. This is the first example of that in the history of Christianity. A man on a cross sentenced to die justly sees the blood of the lamb next to him, sacrificed for his sins, and goes, I, I don't have much time left, but with the time I do have, I will testify and I will overcome. And Jesus says, yes, you will. I will see you in paradise. People all over were recognizing him as Messiah. This is the one. You say, okay, all right. You're, you're getting me closer. I'm not quite there yet. There is a third thing. And this, this is a, a thing for me where I have to take a step back and say, all right, am I outsmarting myself here? Am I giving this too much? Am I trying to be over rational here? And trust me, you know, you, you could talk to my wife. I am the rational, logical, concrete, sequential. I want to see it proved. I would have been right there next to Thomas and be like, yeah, let me put my fingers in the hole. Huh. But, but I, would, I would say this to you, church, and I wrote this in my journal this way, don't outsmart yourself. He is who you think he is. I'm not telling you not to have questions. I'm not telling you not to seek answers. But I'm saying once you ask the questions and once you get the answers, don't outsmart yourself. Because lastly, this is the third one. This is the one, right? If you're like me, you're like, okay, let's read it. Let's, let's check the notes. Number three, prophecy foretold it all. Now, I've, lot, I've watched lots of messages. I've done lots of Google searching. There are some people that claim that there are over 300 prophecies that point directly to Jesus. I stopped at like 55, okay? So, you know, bear with. And there are some, and I, like, listen, from the stage, I'll tell you there's some of me like, well, that's, um, uh, were we reading into that? But I'm telling you, all of these, they're, they're, they're too specific, and we want to throw them up there. These are, are 14 or 15 different instances with seven different guys across 1,250 years, right? What are the odds that all of them got all the little details? Right? I mean, in Isaiah 9, Isaiah says there's going to be a Messiah that comes as a human to bring salvation. 
In Isaiah 7, he says that it's going to be born of a virgin, right from our creed. In Micah 5, Micah says the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. In Isaiah, in Genesis, in 2 Samuel, there's, there's, there's prophecy about who he will be born to and from what descendants he will come from through Judah and Jesse and David. And Hosea talks about the Messiah coming out of Egypt. Mary and Joseph were chased out of Bethlehem and into Egypt for a season. In Isaiah, again, John the Baptist, someone coming before him, a forerunner to prepare the way. It says his ministry will take place mostly in Galilee. In Zechariah, it talks about his entry into Jerusalem on a donkey. In also in Zechariah, the process and the amount paid for his betrayal, 30 pieces of silver. In Isaiah, the process of his trial and his judgment. And in Psalm 22, the method and process of his death and the details surrounding it. I, 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 I was listening to a message Levi Lusco was preaching and he said, the odds of just eight of the, the firmest, surest prophecies of Jesus' life that are as specific as they are, coming truth, coming true, w- would be like you taking in the biggest bucket imaginable, right? 10 to the 17 zeros, silver dollars, and dumping them into an area the size of Texas. They would go up about two feet tall and then marking one of them with a sharpie and tossing them in, putting a blindfold on you and saying, walk out in, pick one up, and see if you pick up the one with the sharpie mark. Right? It's, 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 it's unimaginable, the, the probability, the statistics to see this become true. And, and so all we have to do as we wrestle with this, and this is just some of them I found that I felt like were actually rational and reasonable, and I'm like there's no other explanation. Like this, this dude said this was going to happen, this happened. Right? is that God's plan might sound crazy, but it's almost easier to believe something I couldn't dream up. Like, like, let me take a step back for a minute and not put God in my box that I construct for him and build and say, well, I would have done it this way. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says it this way. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God stronger than human strength. I think we, we have to understand that we are dealing with something that's so much larger and more intricate than ourselves and that we could ever seek to comprehend. If all of it starts to line up, then maybe, just maybe, possibly, could be, this is it. He is the one. He is God's only son in flesh and blood, deserving of our title, Lord born completely 100% God and completely 100% man to be able to accomplish what God set out for him to accomplish. And I won't steal from the other messages that are coming up because we're going to deal with his death, burial, and resurrection and the forgiveness of sins and all of those things. But what, what I want us to get here before we kind of pivot is that we have to understand that his ancestry gives legitimacy to his identity 
and his identity establishes his authority. His authority gives him the right to issue commands and also to support and care for those under his charge. That's why this is so important. Because if we believe rightly about who Jesus is and where he came from, then all of a sudden, the words that he speaks, the things that he asks, the the promises that he makes for us, those all of a sudden get legitimized because his authority is guaranteed and all of a sudden it makes easier to believe this or follow that or trust here. His ancestry gives legitimacy to his identity. His identity establishes his authority. His authority gives him the right to issue commands and support those under his charge. What does he say to the disciples? He's on the doorstep of death. He's meeting with them in the upper room in John 14. He's having the last supper with his disciples, and he opens up for Q&A. But before he does, he says this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. And it's his authority based on his identity and ancestry that allows him to issue a declarative command, but in the passive voice, to his disciple. Did you know that God commands for you to not let your hearts be troubled? Jesus, what a wild command. You're about to go to the cross. You're predicting your death and betrayal. He's just said this. He's just escaped death from the Pharisees in wrapping up his ministry. It seems like things are coming to a close. We're in this upper room. It's really intimate. You've washed our feet. You're telling us that you've got to go away and come back, but then you're going to go away again, and the Holy Spirit's going to go. And, and like our heads are spinning at that point. And Jesus says, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. Why? You believe in God. Good. That was week one. And you listen to the week two talks. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me so that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. What does Jesus say? Listen, there are three hopes, three things that you can do to fulfill this command. Don't let your hearts be troubled. The first is, if you believe in God and believe also in me, right? The the impact of that, the importance of getting it right, is that I will show you who you need to know. I will point you to the Father. Timothy, or not Timothy, Thomas says this in John 14, verse 5. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus utters this very famous, very quoted often scripture, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. See, if you get a a right picture, a right identity, a right glimpse of Jesus, then he will point you right to the Father. He will help you fulfill this command of not letting your hearts be troubled because you'll always know who to turn to at any particular moment. You could get the best news or the worst news and anywhere in between, and who you know, God will be right there in the middle to stabilize that. No matter if it's a big celebration, yes, let's do it with God. If it's in the ultimate tragedy, I know God is with me. 
he's got this. I don't have to be troubled. Jesus has shown me who I need to know. See, who you know impacts two things. It gives you salvation and it gives you adoption into the family of God. Romans 8 says this, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. By sonship, by, by Jesus, we know our Father better. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are his children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. He's the way to the Father. It also tells you where you'll go. Jesus says, I've, I've, I'm preparing a place for you. I want you to know the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen him, but that's not it. That's not the end. There's something more for you. I'm going to prepare a place. And so the impact of rightly knowing Jesus is knowing where you'll go. Where you'll go, Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, it says, you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the way, the truth the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You see, how do you, how do you know you're saved? How do you know where you're going? You've got the Holy Spirit in eternal life. It's the down payment on the place that you're gonna go. He says he's preparing a place for you. You've got a home in heaven, and Jesus is saying, hey, here's the down payment. Here's the Holy Spirit. Here's the setup. I can't wait to see me pay this off for you. I'm so excited about what's to come, not just the way, but the truth, where you'll go, that the Holy Spirit will lead you home to eternal life. And lastly, what he'll show. In 2 Corinthians 3, it says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You see, it's not just the way, and it's not just the truth. He didn't have a, a plan that only kind of takes effect at death or when he takes us home, he says, no, 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 I've got a better part. There's a part three. It's like back to the future. It's part three, right? The way, the truth, and the life. You know, I, I'm, I'm gonna do something in you here on earth. I'm gonna transform you more and more into my image, more and more like Jesus. You see, because when you were adopted into the family, you became Jesus's little brother or sister and get all of the benefits that God poured out to him. He says in John 14, when he's uh, talking to his disciples, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and will do even greater things. I'll do whatever you ask in my name so the Father may be glorified in the Son. And I will ask the Father and he'll give you an advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, 
So what, what will he show you in this life that there's freedom and fullness and peace? He wraps up the whole thing by saying to his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And so if we bring it full circle here, right? We've got these two guys in Luke 18. Jesus, are you good teacher or are you Lord? Are you good teacher or are you Lord? And I, I couldn't miss this opportunity. Uh, C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, which I 10 out of 10 would recommend, says this. He says, I, I'm trying here in his book to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a moral teacher, well, he would either be a lunatic or on level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. So we're all starting in the same place. We're all the rich young ruler or the blind beggar or anybody else in the story. What we have to decide is, are we going to accept that Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord, was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, was 100% man and 100% God, came here, revealed himself to us. Other people recognized it in him and he fulfilled prophecy after prophecy. That means for us, we have access to the way, the truth, and the life. And so I always wanna make space, but even more today, if you've never been in relationship with Jesus, if maybe you've been on the fence and you're like, well, maybe good teacher, but I don't know. C.S. Lewis tells us there's, there's no room for that. This man came and said he was God. Other people recognize him. They give up their lives for this. Seems like prophecy after prophecy was fulfilled. Either he's nuts or, he, or he's God. And, and if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now and telling you on the inside and drawing you to the Father and saying, no, no, no. He's the one. He's Lord. Then I want to make space for you to respond. I wanna make space for you to say yes to Jesus for the first time maybe, not as good teacher, not as wise man, not as interesting person that we you know, get to exchange gifts around, as Lord, as Savior, as God's only Son. And so if you would, bow your heads. Thank you so much for joining us on the Local City Podcast. I wanna encourage you to take the message you just heard and allow it to go deeply into your heart. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. 
A special thank you to everyone who gives to Local City Church. Your generosity makes this podcast possible and creates life change for so many people. You can be a part of spreading this message by going to localcity.church give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this message with your family and friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you. Have a great day.